the Gerontological Society of America Momentum Discussions. Welcome to the Momentum Discussion podcast series, where researchers, educators, and practitioners stimulate dialogue on trends with great momentum to advance gerontology. Welcome to the GSA Momentum Discussion titled Obesity and its Disproportionate Impact on Racial and Ethnic Minority Populations. I'm Dr. Tamara Baker, a professor in the Department of Psychiatry in the School of Medicine at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm also the chair of GSA's Behavioral and Social Sciences section and a GSA fellow. Today, I'm here with Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford, a highly accomplished obesity medicine physician at the Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School. She is a national and international sought-after expert in obesity medicine, who bridges the intersection of medicine, public health, policy, and disparities. Thank you, Dr. Stanford, for joining me for this important conversation, as I also have an interest in focusing on issues around disparities. Absolutely. It's so great to be here with you, Dr. Baker. Thank you. So I want to start by asking a critical question. How is the prevalence of obesity different in diverse race and ethnic communities versus majority communities here in the United States? So I think that's a great question. First of all, I want to acknowledge that obesity affects all populations in quite a dramatic fashion. And by that, I mean, when we look at the prevalence of overweight and obesity in adult populations here in the United States, we're looking at the order of over 42% of U.S. adults having this disease that we call obesity. Now, when we begin to extrapolate this by the major racial and ethnic minority groups here in the United States, we do see disproportionate impact, particularly in communities of color. We see higher rates of obesity in those that are from the Black community and from those that are of the, in the Hispanic population and American Indian and Alaskan Natives. So we do see a disproportionate impact on communities um, of color, particularly those groups that have typically been disenfranchised here in the United States. So, for example, as a Black woman, physician, scientist, I do... Um, Pay attention to what we're seeing as it relates to Black women. And we're looking at rates of obesity in Black women um, getting close to 60%. And so I think that we can agree, you know, that this is a very high rate. And I want to really make sure that I, in my work, address this disparity that exists. But a lot of it goes back to really understanding the nuances of how we define body mass index and obesity. So when we look at this definition of obesity, it's based upon body mass index. Those that have a body mass index of greater than or equal to 30, according to the CDC, the World Health Organization, have this disease of obesity. But we must recognize that BMI and how it was derived was based upon metropolitan life insurance tables from the 1930s, where Black individuals like myself were not included in those actuarial tables to discern weight status and then morbidity, i.e. sickness and mortality, which means higher likelihood of death based upon weight status. So while BMI is a good population-wide measure on average, it doesn't completely get into the nuances of what we see in persons of color, particularly those from disenfranchised groups as previously noted, and how this BMI criteria might differ and how it's not necessarily a good measure of adiposity or fat, which is what we're looking at when we're trying to discern whether someone has obesity, 
And so I just want to give that as a caveat as we're looking at the disproportionate impact on communities of color. Great. So there seems that there is a lot of different variables that go into understanding issues around obesity, particularly among the more marginalized populations. So with that being said, what are the different factors that contribute to such a high burden of obesity and racial and ethnic minority populations? Absolutely. So I'm going to to go to something that might seem um, inflammatory and or controversial, but I think that we have a lot of data to really support what I'm going to say. And that is if we're looking particularly at the black community, that we know systemic and structural racism itself actually leads to higher obesity rates. Um, Dr. Yvette Cozier, as lead author of the Black Women's Health Study, actually looked at everyday racism and lifetime racism to discern in the Black Women's Health Study, which is the largest study that's ever looked at Black women in the United States, that persons that experience everyday racism or lifetime racism have higher likelihoods of obesity. Now, you might be wondering, how does racism and obesity, how do they really correlate? What we do is know is that racism leads to stress. Stress leads to storage of fat or adipose tissue. More chronic exposure to stress, i.e. racism, leads to greater obesity rates. So I do want to point that out because I think that's a conversation that hasn't been widely had um, with regards to some of the disproportionate impact. There are some genetic reasons why we see differences, um, and only recently have we begun to discern some of the genetics surrounding obesity in communities of color. For example, there was a large genome-wide association study that was performed both here in the United States and in Africa, particularly in the countries of Kenya, Nigeria, and Ghana. What they did was they looked across several tens of thousands of individuals that were either of African descent, both here in the U.S. and there, obviously, but also looked at white and Asian individuals to discern if they saw this particular variant on a gene, what, we, what they call a SEMA4D, that accounted for a five body mass index point increase only in those of color, particularly from those of African populations. So when they did this study across over 30,000 individuals, and this came out actually of the NIH, the NIH did this study, they did not find this variant that accounted for five additional BMI points in any group that was not of African descent. So here we see a genetic component contributing to differences in body mass index. So that might be um, one particular thing to think about. We could go into cultural sensitivity and appropriateness. You know, maybe in communities of color, it's more accepted to have a larger body habitus. Maybe that's considered to be more desirable. So maybe that's one of the considerations that we think about. And so we can keep going on and on down this line, pointing out those things that are contributors to the variation in weight status that we see in racial and ethnic minority populations. But I think that one thing that you'll conclude from listening is that it is not a black or white, yes or no, this is why this is. It is indeed complex and multifactorial in nature. So I, I you, you mentioned genetics and cultural sensitivity and that, that sort of leads me to my next question and focusing on, you know, something that we're all um, facing now globally and nationally. Um, so why does there appear to be worsened outcomes in patients who have obesity and COVID-19? 
Oh, I'm so glad you asked this question. I think this is probably, if not the most important question we're going to address, because obviously we've seen COVID-19 really um, change our way of living. Um, All of us everywhere in the world have been affected by this horrible pandemic. So let's talk about COVID and let's talk about obesity. What we do know about COVID-19, which is also called SARS-CoV-2, is that it is an acute inflammatory process. And what really causes it to be a bad player and the reason why we've seen it have such major impacts in terms of sickness and death here in the United States around the world is that there is inflammation, a cytokine storm that happens when someone gets the the COVID-19 or the SARS-CoV-2, depending upon how you want to look at it. Now, this acute inflammatory process that we have with COVID-19 does not play well with the chronic inflammation associated with the disease of obesity. So obesity, when we're looking at individuals that have obesity, typically have high levels of chronic inflammation. And the chronic inflammation and the acute inflammation from COVID interact such that we see significantly higher sickness, need for intensive care unit um, hospitalizations, ventilatory support, and death on the order of three to four times higher sometimes in individuals that have obesity. So it's a major complex interplay, inflammation on top of inflammation, the chronic inflammation that was part of the milieu of that individual now being attacked with another acute process. And that is why we see disproportionate impact on communities that have obesity. And so this is an important question. I'm so thankful that you decided to to ask that today. Great. And 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 continuing with that with regards to our discussion on COVID-19, we know that the the virus has hit particularly hard, not only amongst uh, populations or communities from diverse and race and ethnic groups, but also older adults. So my next question focuses on, you know, what are some of the strategies that can be utilized to address excess weight in communities with high prevalence of obesity, but specifically among older adults? So I'm glad you asked that. So I take care of patients that range in age from two to 90. And so I think that covers a large majority of individuals um, and a large majority of my population are those that are older adults. Often when older adults come in to see me, they presume that I am limited in my ability to choose different treatment options to treat their obesity. But I am not limited. I'm able to use all of the tools in the tool bag. And by all of the tools in the tool bag, I mean behavioral modification, lifestyle therapy, medications, surgical interventions. All of those tools are potential tools that can be utilized for the treatment of obesity in older adults. I think it's important for me to use the right tool for the size of the problem. So if someone has severe obesity, I might be thinking about metabolic and bariatric surgery, which has been shown to be the best treatment for severe obesity, regardless of age, whether you're a child or whether you're an older adult. Um, And pharmacotherapy, being obviously thoughtful about not wanting to cause polypharmacy, which means too many medications, but using medications like we would for any other disease process to treat this chronic disease of obesity. 
The problem is people don't know about therapies that exist beyond lifestyle modification. And usually by the time older adults are approaching me in my office, they've tried multiple lifestyle modifications, maybe over 20, 30, 40, or even 50 years before they land in my chair for me to delve a bit deeper. So I want you to know that there are those of us that are obesity medicine physicians that focus on the treatment of obesity, that focus on populations, particularly older adults, and we're there to help you achieve a healthier weight. Keep in mind that it's not a number on the scale that we're targeting. We want you to be your happiest, healthiest self, and we want to use modalities across the therapeutic, um, I guess, reign to make sure that we're making the best possible decision for you as an individual when you're seeking our care. Okay. So, so it seems that you're, you know, you're focusing on more of the individual or the micro factors when it comes to obesity. I want to ask more about some of the macro factors uh, regarding uh, this chronic condition. So does Medicare and other insurance cover treatment for obesity? So it's interesting that you ask that. They do a really great job of covering things like surgery, right? So we cover, they cover surgery and they will cover some lifestyle modification, but I would call it the donut hole, meaning they don't often cover medications, especially the brand name medications. But if you're working with a skilled provider, um, there are quite a few generic medications that are available. A large majority are generic. And so we can utilize, you know, medications also. But in terms of coverage, we see behavioral therapy being covered by Medicare and we see surgery being covered by Medicare. Everything in between is um, is up for debate. So so in knowing this, what are some of the barriers to receiving treatment, particularly among those from diverse race and ethnic communities? I think a lot of people don't realize that, first of all, that obesity is a disease that actually has um, therapies. And if you don't recognize obesity as a disease and haven't received a diagnosis and or appropriate referral to someone in obesity medicine, there's no way you can really begin to address that maybe lifelong history and or obesity that arose as an older adult. Um, For for example, postmenopausal women, we do see significant increases in weight status due to the hormonal changes associated with menopause. Um, But if you don't know that, hey, I could actually seek out therapy, that's problematic. Um, A study that was performed actually almost about 10 years ago found that racial and ethnic minorities were less likely to receive a diagnosis of obesity despite the significantly higher prevalence. So that goes to show us that those individuals that are from those racial and ethnic minority populations aren't getting the diagnosis. They're not getting the diagnosis. They're likely not getting therapy associated with that diagnosis. Um, which I think says that we as a community, a medical community, need to do better about appropriate diagnosis and treatment and appropriate referrals if it exceeds the bandwidth of the primary care physician, which it often does. So I think awareness is important, but it starts at the level of the physician or other healthcare provider. Um, Our knowledge base generally as Um, physicians and others regarding obesity has been minimal at best. It was only 2013 when the American Medical Association recognized obesity as a disease. I think we can all agree 2013 was not very long ago, but there's been a really uphill battle of making sure that patients that have this disease get the appropriate care. 
We now have the American Board of Obesity Medicine, where individuals are getting certified to care for this population. And we now have over 4,000 physicians in the United States that are, I guess, board certified to to really provide care um, in this space. But 4,000 compared to over 100 million adults, you can imagine, is a large um, group to handle. And we need more and more individuals because this is by far the largest chronic disease, the most prominent chronic disease. And as we mentioned, it disproportionately impacts communities of color. So that's really interesting. So, you know, we focused on the individual and we also mentioned about the healthcare provider, insurance and barriers to receiving treatment. I want to ask more now about policy. Um, Mm. So what legislation has been proposed and or put into place Um, to address the epidemic of obesity in our communities? Yes, so the major bill that is being considered by both the House and Senate here in the United States is a bill we call TROA. TROA stands for the Treat and Reduce, Reduce Obesity Act. So that's the Treat and Reduce Obesity Act. And in TROA, there are two primary considerations. Number one, It considers coverage of behavioral therapies for the treatment of obesity. So work with a dietitian, for example, may not be covered. Um, And that's very interesting because if you have the diagnosis of diabetes across the age spectrum, you get automatic exposure and coverage of work with a dietitian. But it's only once you get diabetes. If you have obesity without diabetes, it's not typically covered. We see that as um, really an uphill battle. Like, why is it that you have to get diabetes to get to work with a dietitian and have that visit covered and not have an out-of-pocket fee associated with that work? So that's one of the tenets in TROA, the Treat and Reduce Obesity Act. The second is the coverage of medications or pharmacotherapy for the treatment of obesity. We see that medications for all other disease processes, whether you have high blood pressure or heart disease, diabetes, maybe you have just eczema, Those medications are well covered by Medicare. They're well covered by Medicaid. They're well covered by private insurers. So why is it that coverage for drugs for the treatment of obesity is not there? And so this is one of the major tenets of this bill that has been proposed. Now, when we talk about TROA, you can say, oh, that's exciting. That's delightful. But we've been trying to get this across the finish line in the House and the Senate, despite large bipartisan support. It's taken six, seven years. We still have not gotten it across the finish line. In case you haven't been paying attention, Washington, D.C. has been focused on other issues, not necessarily chronic disease management. But if we don't take care of our patients now, we'll have a much sicker population. And indeed, what we've seen, especially in the middle of COVID, as our population continues to struggle with this disease of obesity, we're losing far more individuals than those countries that have lower obesity rates. And it's really due to that complex interplay that we talked about between COVID and obesity. We need to take action. We need to take action now. Well, thank you again, Dr. Stanford, for having this conversation with me. We've covered lots of important issues and topics that I know will you know, enlighten our audience. You know, you've provided a wealth of information and this has been such an invaluable and enlightening session. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Dr. Baker. It's been a delight being with you. To learn more about the Gerontological Society of America, visit geron.org. 
The Gerontological Society of America was founded in 1945 to promote the scientific study of aging, cultivate excellence in interdisciplinary aging research, and education to advance innovations in practice and policy. For more information about GSA, visit geron.org.